Welcome back to the JTAC Precision Rifle Podcast. I'm Clay Blackard here with Justin Watts, Tate Streeter, and Austin Orgain. And uh, <clears throat> we've had a lot of questions about guys asking about free recoil, why we do it, how we do it. Because uh, the general consensus out there is that when you free recoil, you can't see anything. And that's really just not the case, uh, depending on how you do it. So, uh, um, you know, Justin, Austin, you guys are obviously, you know, top tier positional shooters. So why don't you give us a little bit about how you free recoil and what you get out of it? You may take it. Um, so for me, I always go hand over scope. Um, and when you do that, you kind of have to watch not getting your hand too far forward on your scope because you can't torque the belly of your scope. Um, so I try to put most of my pressure right right on the ring or just right in front of the ring. Um, really running the rifles we run now and the brakes we run now and the bags we run now, there's not a ton of recoil anyway. So... Whenever you can run your hand over your scope like that and put enough of a press down into your bag, um, I know Justin does a little bit of deal with his uh, shooting hand too that helps. But when you do that and you press in, it's surprising how well you can uh, manage recoil positional and still be able to see shots. You shouldn't have a ton of muzzle rise like most people expect and think from free recoiling. So if you do it right, you can still see everything. You can still see where you're shooting, where you're hitting on plate, where your misses are, it's not, you know, free recoil gets a bad rap because it's all, you're not controlling the rifle or anything like that. That's not necessarily true. It's just you're not, you don't have pressure with your shoulder and cheek on the rifle to induce uh, wobble is really all it is. So when you said you don't want to put your hand too far forward and torque the scope, what are you trying to avoid there? So if you get your hand too far forward on the belly of the scope pressing down, it'll actually torque enough of your bet on the end of your scope and change your point of impact. So you'll actually shoot high you press too hard out on the end of your scope and it really doesn't matter what scope you're on you can push hard enough to, to uh, shift any of them and just like uh, Austin said you know without giving something away that we teach in the class there's something that uh, we do with our shooting hand that um, helps mitigate that recoil and another big thing that I see especially with students and uh, I mean it doesn't matter the level of shooter I see it all the time is that when uh, the shooter pulls the trigger, they want to try to get that reticle back on target to try to see where that miss was. But you're never going to beat that bullet to the target. So if you're following that reticle, trying to put it back on target, you're never going to see that that impact or that miss. Um, if you follow the target with your eye instead, you have a, a, a lot better chance of seeing that. I see every shot, every shot positional. You know, especially prone, but I mean, every shot positional doesn't matter about free recoil. So, how often do you free recoil on positional? Yeah, every shot, every shot, every shot. I start with a little press. Um, and if there's wobble, I start to back that shoulder off until there's no wobble. Yeah, I I do the same thing. I, I start with a good press, I put a decent amount of shoulder pressure on it, and same thing. If there's any wobble, I'll just start reducing that pressure until it's gone. You know, sometimes on really stable barricades, I'll still have a decent a little bit amount of shoulder yep. pressure in it. Not a lot. I never press hard onto it. You never put a lot of pressure into it, but just enough to help even a little bit more. But he said something really good right there about not trying to recover and seeing where you're hitting or missing because all you're going to do is induce more movement in your reticle to try to get back on and see, and you're never going to beat that bullet to target, just like he said. So just let the let the recoil happen. Let your rifle do what it's going to do. If you've got a good, strong press with your hand over the top of the scope or out in front, whichever way you prefer, you, that that 
target is going to stay within your scope. You're going to be able to see it. Just watch for where the target is in your scope. Don't try to put your scope back in the middle of the target. Yeah. So if, especially like if you get a, if you do the same thing every time when you're shooting positionally, which is consistency is everything in the sport, right? So if you do the same thing every time, usually you can get a pattern to where that target is going to be in your reticle. You know, if you shoot, let's say 10 shots in a row and after you pull the trigger, every one of your, uh, or the target is, it, it ends up around four mils in your scope. Well, that's where you need to be looking for that target. That makes sense. But the more solid the barricade is, the more pressure you can put into it. But as that, uh, as you get into target uh, barricades that are a little less stable, you're going to have to for recoil. You can still shoot off of a rickety barricade, but the more rickety it is, the more you're going to have to free recoil. So was there a time that you weren't seeing every shot when you were free recoiling? Or Yeah, when I sucked. <laughs> <laughs> back, back before the bags were decent. Yeah. Back when everybody used to just be putting bare metal rifle forend on the barricades. And With barricades a pump pillow. Wobbly, yeah. So I, I know that when I started free recoiling, I, I wasn't seeing very many of my shots. And part of that was the bags that we were using. But uh, I was willing to take that because I was confident enough in a wind call that if my reticle is solid and I make a decent wind call, I know I'm going to hit it so I don't have to see everything. I'd much rather know that I'm breaking a shot in the center of the target than be whopping all over and, you know, did I break that one on target or did it not? So that was the, you know, the pro con for me is I would rather have been solid and then after just, you know, doing it for a little while and figuring out a better way, um, I got to where I can see those those shots as well. But for me, the trade-off was worth it anyway. Um, as long as you're, you know, breaking a good shot, it, it didn't really matter if you, <clears throat> if you saw it or not, but, um, Tate, you've been doing this longer than any of us. When, when did you start free recoiling? Um, actually, uh, Wade Sudeville, the first match I ever went to, he was free recoiling, but I didn't get a hold of what was going on. He was actually doing it off a pump pillow, um, showed up at rifles only and we were doing the train up before the match and we were shooting a hundred yard mover off of a barricade and wade was more or less trying to tell me how to do it and i thought it was the dumbest thing ever and didn't know how he was doing it so i neglected to even give it another try for about two years probably um and you know just dealt with the wobble back in that day like austin said earlier we were putting guns down on hard barricades and supporting the back on your knee and really getting into a bunch of yoga positions but um as the bags advanced and they got heavier and you know people were looking for ways to get more hits on steel um you know and guys are beating you free recoil and you kind of got to figure out you know what to do so um and that, that's you know we're we're doing a training class this weekend and some of the things the new guys get discouraged with is you know sometimes you got to make a change and it doesn't always you know need a, a change doesn't always immediately um you know fix whatever's going on or improve your skills you have to work at it to kind of feel you know just get your body in tune to the little minor details that um you need to pay attention to to get it to work so fighting through it and you know figuring out tips and tricks and knowing that other guys are doing it was enough for me to figure out you know okay how do i need to get this to work and you know we call it free recoil it's really not free recoil it's um you know we're just dealing with the recoil in other ways than our you know wobbly body and heartbeat so um, you know, I, I run a hawk, I run a one piece Hawkins rings and I run it for the main purpose of, um, one, I like Andy and two, I think they're good rings, but, um, I hook my thumb around the level 
And I'll, I not only have down pressure, but I have forward and down pressure, and that helps me uh, mitigate that recoil and stay in the scope. I mean, I, we would never free recoil if we didn't see what was going on. Um, and the best thing about free recoil, like Justin said, is no matter what position you're on, no matter, no matter what height, it's the same it's the same concept every shot. You don't have to, you know, get in a different position or use a different bag or any of that. It's just the same same technique every shot. I don't know about you guys, but I I get asked quite a bit on, you know, what should I practice to go into a match for positional stuff? And I was like, practice a PRS barricade. Because at the end of the day, every single barricade, doesn't matter what it's made out of, where it is in the country, it's all just a different height. But it's the same thing. It's a barricade. Um, so if you can free recoil or if you can, you know, shoot positionally off of a barricade, you're going to be able to shoot anything. It's just, can you shoot, you know, can you do it low? Can you do it mid-height? Can you do it? You know, high, st- you know, high kneeling. Can you do it standing? That's that's really all positionally. It's it's all the same. It's just different heights. Um, the the barricades just look different. But, um, I think that free recoil is, you know, going to be the primary for a lot of a lot of barricades that you see out there. But I think so many people start to use it as a crutch and use it as their plan A, when you can get away with you know using a bipod uh, and a bag on a lot of stuff. Like rocks are a real real big one that we see every match that there's a rock stage you see tate do it austin does it and they go up there with a a bipod in a bag and and they you know shoot it no problem and they have much more you know much quicker follow-up shots they they typically do better on those stages than the guys that just walk up there using a bag so i do think free recoil something you need to have you know in your skill set but not always your your primary yeah no i agree at um like you said, you just it, it a barricade is just a height. Whenever you walk up to it, you just say, "Okay, this, these are the heights it is." And really, even at that point, when you free recoil and just use one bag, it doesn't matter much as much as it used to. Because used to, you'd see it. Okay, you know, I can use my knee as a rear support at this height, or um, you know, it's going to be a really low kneeling here. Now you just put your bag up there and you do the quote unquote free recoil. And now you just have to figure out how to lay your bag down. Exactly. Yeah, there's different ways to lay that bag, and uh, and a lot of people. Uh, don't realize that you know where you position your bag is very important so you're not hitting your mag or you're not having in- inducing problems uh, throughout the stage and i always use free recoil as a plan b it's always a fail safe i may you know shooting off rocks i may plan on using bipod and rear bag and just shooting it modified prone but at any point in time where i feel like that plan is failing i'm going to ditch the bipod and just free recoil yeah, I think Tate said something really uh, good earlier. He was talking about, um, you know, guys practicing this and then just trying to make it into a habit. And I think that even not necessarily the newer guys, guys that have been shooting for a long time that maybe aren't on the level they used to be or, you know, trying to just level up. That's something that's hard for, I think, guys to change because they're kind of setting their ways. They want to shoot it a certain way. Um, they kind of come take a class or see what we're doing. We try to get them to change. And I feel like they do change at first, but it's something that, they're going to have to work on harder maybe even than the new guys that's just learning just because they're going to have to break those old bad habits. Yeah, we get guys that come new to a class, and after their first day in the class, they would have beat the brakes off of us three years ago. 100%. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember watching people shoot barricades whenever I first started, and I was down at Lone Survivor, I think it was, and Jerry Karloff, I was in his squad, and – a lot of guys probably don't know Jerry Karloff, but he used to skull drag pretty regularly. Um, Everybody. 
<laughs> and uh, there's this window stage down there, and he goes into it, and he pushes his bipod into it and just loads as hard as he can. He just sit th- sits there and goes like 9 for 10 or 10 for 10, whatever it was. And I'm like, I'm going to try that. That looked pretty good. And then I think I got like a 2. Couldn't see nothing, couldn't hit anything, couldn't stay solid. And there's a, it's something that he had practiced uh, a long time. And um, back before we had these bags, it was a lot more difficult to – to get sold on bear kids. I think Tate had a story once upon a time that um, maybe it was Alabama and uh, lost the match by, by, you know, a point or whatever and got like a four or a five on the PRS barricade. And now we can't hardly imagine a, a match where we don't clean a PRS barricade. It's just, it's completely changed from when we got rolling to what it is now. Yeah. I remember whenever they first implemented the PRS barricade and steel skill stage, if you got, you know, a six or seven on it, you're like, heck yeah. Yeah. I might move up a little bit here if I tie somebody. It was if you cleaned those PRS barricade, you were doing something. It was a lot more difficult than it is now. I actually lost that match by two, and I shot the PRS barricade, and the timer. I was shooting a can at the time, and my, uh, the can didn't set the timer off. I got done with that stage, and I got a five. And they were like, "Well, you didn't get your time. Do you just want to take, you know, however many, you know, ninety seconds, or whatever." And I was like, "No, I really don't." And they're like, "Well, if you reshoot it, you have to take your score." And I was like man, do I really want a chance like losing a five <laughs> because we didn't shoot at how we did now. Yeah. I reshot it and got a six and lost by two. And you got to, you know, Clay kind of hit on it a second ago talking about watching Carlos shoot off that bear. Certain people, you know, you, you watch somebody do something and uh, they may be a great shooter, but that doesn't always mean that's going to work for you the way that, that they shot that stage. Like, if I have to repeat that, he cut you off there. Did you cut me off? Yeah, Clay? I hit the wrong mute button there. Okay, so <laughs> what I was saying was, uh, Clay kind of touched on you know watching Karloff shoot that stage, so he tried it and failed. Um, that you see that a lot, especially even even if the person shooting is a is a you know a top shooter, you watch them shoot a stage and you're like, man, they they made that look flawless. So you try it, and then immediately you realize this is not working out like I thought it was going to. I mean that that's happened to me. I I watched Austin shoot a stage. And I watched the way he shot it, and of course Austin's left-handed, and I'm right-handed, and that didn't that didn't resonate with me. And so I watched him shoot, and I'm like, "Were you solid?" And he's like, "Oh, dude, it was it was super solid." So I was like, "Well, that's exactly how I'm going to shoot it." And then first position, I realized this was a super terrible idea. Abort, abort mission. Yeah, and I had to I had to go back to my free recall because uh, it wasn't working out as planned. There's a lot of that stuff that those guys do with the bipod that is not not what the average guy can do. Um, it does take a lot of practice to be able to use your, your bipod in those odd odd angles, things like that, um, like out at your match. Um, I mean, it was a disaster. Whenever I shot it, my hand froze, and I couldn't use my, my bag. I couldn't build it up. But um, there's so many rock stages that, that are bag bipod stages, 10 times out of 10. I mean, I remember last year at the finale, uh, the 2019 finale, we go to shoot the rock stage and it was kind of a, a TYL. I think it was three, you know, four or five targets from a few different rocks, whatever it was. And everyone's like, Oh, that you have to bag this stage. And me and Austin just kind of, or me and Justin just kind of look at each other like, no, like that's, I'm never using just a bag there. Um, and so many people just see a rock as, Oh, it's a backstage. And a lot of times it's, it's not, and there's a better way to do it. Yeah. I, I think the the running the bag and bipod for Tate and I, I mean, correct me if you're if I'm wrong here, yeah. stem from squad, we, squad two didn't have a problem. That's right. I, I think it stems from we didn't have the good bags before, so when we could get a bag and bipod down, that's what we did. So now we're just super comfortable with any position you can get a bag and bipod down. That's what we're going to run. And it's I mean it, obviously it it is better 
no matter how you break it up, if you can get a bag and bipod down, it's better. My first time using a bag and bipod on a rock stage was heat stroke 2018. And, um, I'm shooting with Tate and he shot there before and knew how to shoot stuff like that. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, I'm going to put a bag here and shoot. And I'm going to put a bag here and shoot. And it was a, a pretty tough stage and I had no idea, you know, how else to go about it. And then he's like, no, you want to put a bipod here, you know, put a bag, you know, this is what you can do with a bipod. And I just had never looked at a rock stage like that. And I did it that way. And it's you know the best that I'd ever shot that stage by far. Um, but there's there's almost always a, a way to get it done. Yeah, that same the heat. I think it was was it the heat stroke. I think it was the heat stroke twenty like seventeen. I think I was in a squad with Bradley Allen, and he ended up winning that match. But it was that same rock stage you're talking about, and the the target was just on the top of a. It was it had no backstop. It was silhouetted <coughs> silhouetted on top of a hill, and. Uh, there was zero wind I could feel on my face. And the target was like 340 or something. And uh, I was like, man, I'm just going to go straight up on this. And got super solid, squeezed the trigger, nothing. Didn't see anything. And I was like, huh, well, that didn't work. Let me just do the exact same thing again. <laughs> so held center again, missed, didn't see anything. And so I decided, you know, that's a super good idea. I'm just going to keep doing that for the next five shots. And uh, I think I ended up hitting the last three after I realized, you know, better better try something different. And and uh, it ended up being like three-tenths of wind. And, and of course, Bradley gets up there and cleans it with my three-tenth wind hold. And, uh, hey, hey, Justin, you know what you got to do whenever you miss and you don't know where it is? I do now. <laughs> I do now. If you want to know, come take a JTAC class. <laughs> so what you're saying is that was your win. Bradley just got to take the trophy home. That's right. Okay. Yeah. yeah just so Bradley out. knows. Don't, don't think he was going to hold that three tenths, huh? Yeah. <laughs> no. If only, he hadn't had, if only he hadn't had Justin in front of him. If only he didn't. Yeah. 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 He never, probably he probably would have got last. Probably never won another match before or since. No. Not. Yeah. Nope. Not that guy. Definitely. Definitely. Definitely didn't beat me at the tiebreaker at the AG Cup. <laughs> <laughs> he used my win call there too. Yeah, well, if you could only see the most obvious bullet splash I've ever seen on target, maybe. Yeah, well, you, you could have, have kicked so me or something, you know. Well, you were on your own there, sink or swim, pal. Yeah. Contrary to some people's belief, we're not cheaters, Justin. Yeah, that's true. Um, I uh, <clears throat> I don't know about how you guys started doing free recoil, but Justin showed me how to do it when I was was pretty early into the game and i didn't have a bag that i could use i mean i had a rear bag and i was terrible with a bag on it and i tried copying some stuff that austin did he used to put a um like a belt or something yeah. uh, a bungee cord i don't know what it was and he would attach it to his his belt and and the barricade somehow i don't remember exactly how it, it worked. It was yeah it was a sling so i'd leave my bipod on and i'd put a sling on and hook it to my belt and push my hips back and pull into it and kind of reverse load the rifle is what I did. I just had a sli- uh, hook to the front swivel stud. Man, if we saw guys doing what we used to do now, we'd think they were crazy. Oh yeah, we'd make fun of them. Hundred percent. You know, I almost didn't didn't say anything to Clay that day, and I it's kind of like fifty fifty. Wish I hadn't. But uh, <laughs> um, I was watching Clay struggle on the barricade, and he was just not hitting anything. He had his rifle just I don't know. You had a pump pillow or something. Uh, I couldn't. Tell it, it was it was pretty gross. Uh. And I was just watching him, and I, Jim C just happened to be standing next to me, and he's like, "Man, are you gonna go? Uh, are you gonna go help that guy?" And I was like, 
no, he he didn't ask. I mean, he's like, were you just going to watch him struggle? And I was like, I, I don't know. And he's like, I would definitely go help that guy. <laughs> I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll go give him a tip. So you're responsible. I'm responsible for Clay, yeah. Yeah. For all the people who went home crying without a golden bullet. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um. So that day, you showed me what free, free recoil was, and that was when I was brand new. I didn't even have a foundation yet, so I was less than six months into the game, and uh, I didn't use a bag the way you showed me how to free recoil. I would just clamp. I'd dig my bipod back into the barricade, and then I'd clamp my, my thumb over the barrel, and then the rest of it would be uh, pinning it to the barricade. And it worked really well for me, and... I'll, you know, once in a while I'd send one high, and it, you know, or sorry, I'd, I'd send it low, and I never knew why. It was because I was pinching that barrel, um, yeah. and that took me a while to figure out that why am I just randomly, you know, dropping one under a barricade once in a while until somebody, I think it was Wade, was talking about uh, Tyler Lister at a, I don't know if it was a club match or, or what, but it was at the location where heat stroke is, and his barrel was touching a branch, and whichever side of the the barrel you know the branch was touching he'd miss the opposite side and couldn't figure it out and he was telling me that story not even having seen me shoot before i was like oh that's that's what it is and so i had that happen one time uh barrel touching something i was shooting down at uh dave and prentice's at one of the texas matches down there been several years ago now but we're shooting off that little lattice that steps up I was like, oh, I'm going to go off this right side. And I stuck it through there. And I was like, man, I'm really steady for some reason. You know, this is, I don't know, 2017 or something. I was like, man, I'm really steady. This is awesome. I shoot and miss. I was like, oh, well, what's going on here? So, you know, I hold a different way and I shoot and miss. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. And I look up and my barrel's touching, uh, you know, a two by four or something sticking out. And I was like, oh. I had that same thing happen on a tank trap because I was in my head. I was like, I'm not shooting off these tips. Everybody was shooting off the tips. I was like, I'm not shooting off tips. I can shoot off the middle. And I realized real quick why everybody was not shooting off the middle. Yeah. I don't think I've got my barrel into something since then, but... Uh, I, I haven't either. That's That was the first and only time I've done it in, in a match, anyway. I did, you know, kind of with the scope thing, you don't want to put your hand too far on the bell. Um, I was shooting off some railroad ties at uh, MPA before the first AG Cup. And I hit the first target, hit the second target, move positions, hit the first target, and then I missed the second target by like a foot and a half. I'm like, what in the world just happened? And then I go through, and uh, I, that same kind of thing. I was like, I'm just really, really solid here. For trigger slap. Trigger slap. <laughs> most consistent, Still does it. Most consistent trigger slap you've ever seen. Um, but uh, I just had my bell torqued in there. There wasn't enough room to get a bag and my scope, and it was just crammed in there and yeah. you know, forced me to shoot somewhere where I wasn't aiming. Yeah, if Clay actually pulled the trigger like the rest of us do, he would miss way left. I, I probably would. <laughs> Can't ever go on his wind call. If it's if his wind call, you either got to add three add tenths his trigger or slap in. three tenths because you got to count for that trigger slap. People always try to say you'd hit so many more targets if uh, you didn't slap the trigger. Well, if you clean a course of fire, you really can't hit any more than that. Yeah. Um, something else we wanted to talk about. Um, I know you guys have had people call you, ask you, you know, do whatever. Um, that they, they want you to run a certain product. Um, they offer you this or they offer you that. Um, sometimes it seems like they kind of offer the world and somehow people seem to find out whenever you get those phone calls, I really don't know even how that happens. Um, like, why didn't you do this? You know, I know they were talking to you. Why didn't you do this? And, um, all of us run the same year now. Uh, and it's not because we're, we're given this or we're given that it's infinitely better in my opinion to, to pay for what you want to use than be given what you don't. Um, 
And while we have people that would take care of us now, I think we all, with the exclusion of Tate, because he makes the things, um, paid for you know our, what we got at at full price. Yeah, um, for sure. And I mean, you guys have you know some some advice for guys that are going out just calling sponsors because of that. You know, it it is cool. It's it's very cool to get a to get a sponsor to be from to start not knowing anything, and then you got people talking to you. You're calling sponsors. You're trying to get this. You're trying to get that. Do you have any advice for people that are going on that path right now so here's my take on this right now where we are i don't think any company out there is offering a sponsorship that you're going to make a living on you're not going to be able to just live off of whatever these sponsors are offering most of the time it's product um and for me if it's going to sacrifice if i feel like it's going to sacrifice any performance if any of my gear is going to be lesser than what i have it's not worth it it's not worth me to run something and possibly place lower throughout the year, be less consistent than it is for me to just pay for whatever I'm going to run. Um, you know, I, I ended up having a pretty good year this year. It doesn't happen like that all the time well, as far as winning money. But what what would happen if I would have ran something that was would have hindered my performance at any time throughout this year? I mean, that's, that's a big money swing. I mean, the golden bullet you won by less than a point or whatever on the season. So if you yeah. missed one more shot at the all final, year, so yeah. every um, shot counts. So when every shot counts like it does now, and it's every match, and every shot counts, I want the best odds to hit it. I don't want to have to say, I don't want to have to be questioning any of my gear. I don't want to have to question if my scope's going to track. I don't want to have to question if my trigger's going to go off. I don't ever have to question my action anyway, so it doesn't really matter on it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the fact that knowing that your equipment is going to run is – you can't put a value on that. Yeah, so something I tell guys – you know, we talk to sponsors and stuff, and, and something I try to – you know, if we're going to try a new product, I try to put up front and just say, hey, I want to work with you guys. I think you're a great company. You're doing great things for the sport. I just – I want to I want to say up front, if this ever – if it, if I feel like it's going to hinder my ability to do this – you know, I don't want to do it. I want to do a little trial first. I want to try it out. If everything works good, man, I'm game. But if I feel like it's going to hinder my performance throughout the year, then, you know, I just I don't think we need to – it's not a good uh, fit for either one of us. Yep. So. For me, if it's not going to put points on the board, it has no business being on my gun or in no. my bag. And we talk about a lot of this is a mental game. Uh, the equipment that I'm running now, I wasn't running in 2017. And I was having a rifle issue at the beginning of 2018. I was going to shoot my first match, which was Lone Star. And uh, Wade Studeville was like, man, you know, I, I'm going to try to get your rifle fixed or whatever, but um, why don't you run mine? And uh, you, I'll load you some ammo. You can just take my rifle to this match. And when I put that rifle in my hands, something clicked. I mean, I, there's, I felt like I couldn't miss with that rifle. It, the way it shot, the way it felt, I mean, I just, it, it was all mental, obviously. It had that Wade magic on it. had that Wade magic on it. And the way I felt, like the, the confidence I had uh, just shooting that rifle, and that was my first top 10. My goal for 2018 was just to finish in the top 10, and right off the bat, top 10 finish. And I, I don't know if it had something to do with that magic of, of the confidence in that rifle, but immediately I just switched to everything um switched everything action stock trigger everything and from then on out it's just been uphill 
downhill, whatever. <laughs> Tate, before you were, were making actions, you probably went through more gear, if I was guessing, than any of us because you get, you kind of made our life easy as far as that decision. Um, what what kind of sponsorships did you get and what did you go through getting to where you are now? Man, I never really have been anybody that you know reached out. I just shot what I had, but um, believe it or not, I started out the Remington 700 that I chambered myself. Um, that's a, that's a story I think I told on episode one, but, um, man, I never, I never reached out. I just, I was always busy at work and man, I honestly, I never have been anybody that changed gear. Um, I started out and met David Weiss at the very first match I went to and bought a variety of bags and man, I, ne I never have been that guy that, you know, looked for the next best thing. I kind of paid attention to whoever was beating me and kind of went that route instead of trying to invent the wheel. I think that's something a lot of people do is there are a few things that win virtually every match out there. A, a six BR based caliber wins just about every match that we shoot. Um, and I mean, I'm not trying to, to plug him cause he's right here, but if you look at the podium at pretty much any match, usually four or five out of the top five are running an impact. Um, and a lot of guys are running foundations, things like that. They're just, you can make just about anything work. I'll say that you can make just about anything work. Um, but there are some things that are just easier to make work. And if you trust your equipment, you know that anytime you miss, you missed, there's nothing else you got to worry about. You can believe what the bullet says and you can go on, make a correction and, and, and finish up your stage. But if you're having to wonder, was that me or was that this, or was that this, you're just, you're in for a world of hurt. Yeah, especially with the consistency of calibers that we run now and the bullets, the bullet selection that we have now. There's, you know, several really, really good consistent bullets, and it makes it to where you can trust the bullet. You know, you don't have. One fire. thing we go over in our class is, um, and we actually talked about making a shirt with the Ten Commandments of shooting, but um, it's run something you can trust and trust what you run. And what it does, it lets you put your mind at ease. You know, when you go to a match, you don't have to worry about any of your equipment. You can worry about, you know, the situation right in front of you. And that's pretty important. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And back to the sponsors. There's a lot of sponsors out there that even though they know you're running a different product, they're, they're still good to you. Um, like Tom Fuller, for instance, like he knows that we run, that I run a wee bed. And, you know, he still comes in here and is like, hey, I know you're running a wee bed, but, man, I got these new cheek pieces that, you know, they're leather, they look cool. You're, you know, here's a couple of them. Um, and, and that's what the sport's all about. It's like, getting it's like a big family you know a lot of sponsors aren't like that but but a big majority of them are and i think that's super important for the sport yeah it's competitive in a way but at the same time man most of those guys are all friends they're all buddies they talk trash to each other and go and it's uh it's just kind of like a big family that everybody has a little different business and a little skin in the game yeah, i mean you see guys that i mean uso was a big sponsor for us for our match Vortex, a real big sponsor for our match. They know that neither Tate or I are running their optics, but they're supporting the sport. I mean, and and we're happy to have support from from people like that. If everybody was was petty and only supported people that were using their product, because nobody, not everybody can use the same products. It's just just the way that it goes. Um, and if guys did not did not choose to support matches just for that reason, I mean, we wouldn't. None of us would would ever get very far. Um, I know that Austin and I, with some stuff that we're going to be coming out this year, going to be sending prize, uh, stuff to prize tables that 
you know, our guys that are probably never going to run our stuff. Um, it's just the reality of it. I know Tate has done the same thing. He sent product to, to places that, you know, guys that don't run his stuff may never run his stuff. Um, but it does seem like everyone just kind of gets along in that aspect. Yeah. No doubt. So <clears throat> this weekend we're doing a beginner's class and we've got guys that have done it for six months or so. Um, got the rigs figured out. We got a few guys that are here that are on the hunting side. Just want to make sure that whenever they get that shot, they can take it. Got guys going on um, big sheep hunts, things like that. Um, and and they've got they've got good rigs too. They're just a, a different class of, of rifle. You got the the heavy match rigs versus these lighter weight hunting rigs and uh, recoil management. Um, even just on prone stuff has has been a big big topic for for our guys that we've spent the weekend with so far. Um, you can see just without a even just a muzzle break would make a, a world of difference for some of these guys because they got straight barrels, nothing on the end. Um, Eight pound six five PRCs. Yeah. yeah. And if that's the rig that you're running, you're going out into the mountains, you're going on a hunt, and you're just going with a straight barrel, what what kind of stuff can you do to, to help make sure that you, you see where your bullet goes when you take that shot? Man, if you, uh, if you can get your bipod loaded up, um, I don't load my bipod, but I also don't shoot an 8-pound 6.5 PRC. So... Um, if you can can wedge up against something that and uh, and kind of pin that bipod to the ground, it, it'll help you definitely uh, stay on target to see where you're going. If you just let that bipod just float, that thing's gonna jump all over the place, right? Because that's that kinetic energy has to go somewhere, and it's not gonna go out your body if you've got the the, the stock rested on your shoulder. It's not gonna go out your body. It's gonna go out the path of least resistance, which is gonna be the bipod. And that's why the guys that aren't running brakes or, or run the, the lightweight hunting rifles, that's why their rifle jumps so much. Yeah, it's, I, I think I can help a little bit on this because my, my hunting setup is a 6.5 SOM. Um, most of the time when I actually pack it, I don't, I, I'm running it straight barrel uh, just due to I don't want to blow my ears out when I run the brake. And it's long enough adding the can that I don't want to pack the can. So it's just like Justin said, what I do whenever I get set up for it is I'll generally still carry some sort of bag with me. I've got a real lightweight bag. Um, I, I don't even remember, I don't even remember what the bag is. It might be a short action customs. I don't, or a, a short action precision. precision. I don't remember, but it's a real light feel, but it's still a bag that I can carry that doesn't add a lot of weight or bulk to my pack. And I'll load up in the bipod really well. Most of the time, uh, for me in hunting situations, I try to put myself in a position where I can get my bipod down. Um, there are going to be sometimes, and, and I've done it before. I did it coos deer hunting in old Mexico, had to shoot off of a rock, basically kind of a free recoil type deal. You just have to know at that point that you're probably not going to see where your shot's going to go. Um, but if you can get steady and at that, in that situation, it was three or 400 yards. Um, you know, a deer in comparison to what we normally shoot, it's a really big target. There wasn't much wind. So I knew as long as I could get steady and make a good trigger pull, it was going to be over anyway. Um, the other side of it, too, is if you have a buddy with you that's hunting with you, they can help spot as long as you have hunted together. As long as he's good and you know you can trust his spot, and that works really well, too. Uh, it is a different – it's it's a kind of a different uh, – perspective going to the hunting rifles versus the match rifles because it is going to you're running larger calibers it's going to be harder to see your shots try to get prone try to get some pressure on that bipod it's my advice 
I mean, Tate's probably done as much hunting as any of us. I mean, probably by a, a long shot, really. So what? what's something that you would do? If I couldn't find a break anywhere to buy? Yes. Um, I would make a break. <laughs> um, but, you know, one thing we saw yesterday with some new guys is, you know, whether we're teaching them free recoil or, you know, actually shouldering the rifle is, you know, everybody worries about taking deep breaths and breathing, you know, and, and, and firing at the, you know, bottom of the cycle. I think another way to look at it is just get calm behind the rifle. We see guys panic, um, no matter, you know, shooting at steel or shooting at animals, it's panic. Um, and you can call it, you know, take deep breaths, shoot at the bottom of the cycle, but, you know, get calm and not yanking the trigger is probably the most important thing, you know, you can do. Um, with the lighter rifle, you go to yanking that trigger, is going to have more effect on the rifle. So, um, you know, obviously you want to get as much of your body behind the rifle as you can to absorb that recoil. Um, you know, but you don't want to do it at the expense of, you know, having a six foot wobble. So finding that happy medium, calming down, you know, taking a few breaths and actually squeezing the trigger off. Um, I think it's just more important to concentrate on that kind of stuff with a lightweight rifle when you're hunting. So whether you're a hunter, whether you're shooting a match rifle, you said, you know, try to calm your mind. It's pretty obvious. It's a lot of people that come to our classes get nervous. Yesterday was no exception. And you're on glass you're helping them you're sitting there teaching them you know every step of the way and you can see just by how they're loading around into a rifle that they're nervous you know hands are shaking things like that how do you calm that down um well first off you have to realize that it never pays off in the long run to panic and you know have the timer what do you call it panic but um the number one thing i do is try to you know obviously we we we, we do what we call free recoil but we zoom out a little bit and we're trying to center up, um, you know, the reticle on the target. And I usually try to make myself center the reticle on the target before I even find the trigger. And once I find the trigger, I kind of do a one, two, three count in my head and just literally talk to myself in my head, you know, squeeze the trigger, um, you know, and follow through. So I'm not worried about missing. I'm not worried about, you know, having a time wobble. I've got a steady hold on the center of the target. Literally, all I have to do from that point on is, you know, do my part and make a good trigger pull. So it takes a little bit of that panic out, not having to worry about having to time the wobble and yank the trigger at the right time and all that stuff. Something that uh, I thought was, was pretty awesome about this class uh, this weekend is about, about half the students in this beginner class are wanting to get into PRS matches and wanting to shoot matches. And the other half wanted to get into or, or, or just hunters that uh wanted to hunt so we kind of just kind of broke off and and half you know the hunters on one side and the, and the prs shooters on the other and kind of worked on different things that that uh that will will fit their needs best and you know i think that's invaluable for class yeah we we always tell people we have a a, a a course outline on what we're going to do, but we're not just going to go down a list and be like, this is what we're going to do at 815. This is what we're going to do at 845. Like we want to tailor the class to each student's individual needs. So did we expect to get half the class hunters and half the class match shooters? No, but after, you know, an hour in the classroom, we knew what we were going to do when we got out to the range, um, that we were probably going to go into two different groups and, and work on different things for each person. Yeah, I think it's cool to start getting some different uh, guys coming in on the hunting side of it because all of us, all of us hunt, and it and it transfers over to the hunting side. We shoot enough rounds and do it, and uh, just the practice and the mindset 
it, it all rolls right over to hunting. I mean, that's initially why I started shooting was to be a better hunter and to be able to take those a little bit longer shots, extend my range, give myself a better opportunity. So you, we can get guys like that coming in. And, um, you know, like I said, just it transfers right over. You know, there's there's pressure on you with the clock on. There's pressure on you when you got that big buck or elk or whatever, you know, across the canyon and you really want to try to get a shot at him. Um, if you can calm your mind and stay mentally focused, it's the same shot as, as if you're trying to shoot a target in competition. And people say, like, you know, that, well, the PRS shooter is like, it's not the same. It doesn't, doesn't uh, translate to the field when you're hunting. And that's absolutely false. Absolutely. Absolutely false. false. I watched Clay shoot a coyote at 870 yards off a tripod. Just no problem. 20 something mile an hour wind. 20 something mile an hour wind. Just smoked that coyote 870. Yeah. Cause, tripod. okay. So whenever you coyote hunted before, you did, or I know when I first started, your my percentage was way down on hitting coyotes. And if it was three or 400 yards, there's no chance. But now, and shooting as much as we do in the targets we do, you look at a coyote at five or 600 yards, or you're going, man, that's a giant target. It's a giant target. Huge. No way I should miss this, which I still have seen, you know, at least one of us here miss a few times. I won't name any names. Um, <laughs> but don't talk about clay like that. Oh, I'm pretty sure we're talking about nighttime thermal hunting right now. I'm just joking. But it's a giant target now. And, it, and, and so those three or 400 yard shots you take with confidence, you know, I mean, you still a coyote, eight or 900 yards, wind's blowing, still a tough shot and it's a good shot especially on especially a cold a four 20 pounder yeah 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 it's all clay shoots is 20 pounder especially those pups the first one he shot the other morning i was like him. man did his mom run off when you shot him or <laughs> did you have to wipe, you have to wipe the milk off his face <laughs> yeah wasn't quite that bad but you know you say have confidence when you're taking those shots i can tell you a way that you'll never have confidence is when you go hunting with tate streeter for the first time no confidence whatsoever. Like I'm with Ham and Quinn hunting and I'm terrified to pull the trigger. I'm like, if I miss, they're never going to forgive me. So like there was a couple cows that got away that day that I obviously should have been the one to shoot. They were in front of me, not that far, but I was just terrified to screw up. And I mean, you can't be scared to screw up, but um, I absolutely was the first time going out with him. Clay, when we go coyote hunting with Clay, it doesn't matter. Like, we'll go set up and it'll be on one of my spots. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to put Clay over here because Clay is a coyote hog and he wants to shoot <laughs> the first thing that steps out. You know, nobody else even has a chance to see it. But I could set Clay in front of a brick wall and a coyote would come out of that brick wall. Never fails. Wherever I set Clay, there's going to be a coyote. And. You know, we're supposed just to, and if eyes. not, he'll just steal the one that comes yeah. in front of you, right? Oh, okay. We're supposed <laughs> yeah. to give each other a warning, you know, like, hey, coyote, coyote, you know. But Clay's like, coyote, bang, you know, and you're like, oh, what, did you say something over there? I, I thought you coughed, and then you shot. And then we go drag something with four legs. Yeah, and then Clay goes drag something with four legs. Yeah, that's true. We've got a rule that whoever shoots it drags it. Yeah, that's... I think that's a pretty. It's a long rule. shot. You got three people staring at that coyote. They're like, "Yeah, I don't really want to drag that." I know. We we called a contest last year. The first, I think it was our first stand. You shot one like a hundred yards or something. I shot one at two or three hundred, and and he ran off. It was a pretty good hit on him, and he ran off and had to go drag him four or five hundred yards. I was like, "All right, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm gonna <laughs> yeah. let him come on in." I'm just sitting back there, in the truck, like looking at my watch. You know, like was he gonna get back sometime today? Yeah, I come back and I had my jacket off and just wringing sweat. Had climb through three canyons to get to him and so we, the first like cow hunt we, i hunted with clay and colin uh we had killed a couple dogs right off the bat um i mean within the first 20 seconds turn on the call we'd kill two dogs and then uh we didn't see anything else until like one o'clock in the afternoon and we're sitting there calling this place and i see a coyote 
pretty good ways out there and uh just sitting under a cedar tree just watching the call and i'm like hey i'm gonna i'm gonna shoot him and clay and Colin are like no no don't don't shoot him i'm like what are you what are you talking about i'm gonna shoot him he's like no no let him come in and i'm i sit there and watch this dog for <clears throat> probably four or five minutes and he is not coming in and he's starting to get a little sketchy and i'm like man i'm not gonna say anything to them i'm just gonna shoot this coyote so i shoot and drop this coyote and Colin looks over and he's like you realize that's on the other side of a canyon, right? And we got to go get it. And I was like, well, yeah. I didn't. And y'all are a little it, different it, than my team. We usually uh, don't care who shoots the coyote. We just want the coyote dead. Yeah. That's what I say all the time. And usually, if that sucker's like outside of 500, we one, two, three, shoot on four. That's supposed to be the rule. Clay yeah. doesn't follow. <laughs> it's, it's a much higher percentage rule. Yeah. You, you, hold, you hold two tenths, you hold four tenths, I hold six tenths. We're one, one of them's exactly, going to hit That's him. exactly what we do. Yeah. Maybe exactly. maybe spread it out more next. Yeah, the cow's chested up looking at us. Yeah. Be like, hey, I think it's between two and eight tenths. Okay, I'll hold three, you hold six or whatever, and yeah. boom. Up your odds. Yeah. Sometimes in our country out there, it's, it's pretty wide open, and you got canyons, and they'll, they'll, you know, they'll be going across a canyon, and then you never even see them again at all so you just kind of shoot them where they are where you can see them you shoot them that happened on that same hunt that i was with you austin there was one across the canyon i'm like 350 yards pretty hittable shot obviously and i was like now let's bring him across the canyon and pow austin shoots i'm like why wouldn't we just wait he's like well out here they just disappear once they go in that canyon a lot of times you just don't see him again i was like well i guess that's a different story than what i'm used to yeah no they will though you know because we set up not far off the edge of the canyon so if you let him come across the canyon he's 20 or 30 yards from you and he might pop up in this little finger he might pop up in that finger you know maybe the wind swirled around down in a finger and he, he winded us but i've had it several times where you'll try to wait him wait on him across that canyon you never see him again so just shoot him over there and walk across the dang canyon yeah it's a handful sometimes we got me and clay had to sit there and st- we've been after a bobcat for a little while trying to Trying to find a big bobcat that uh, we can kill for a tournament, and yesterday mainly to put on my wall. I'm not concerned with your wall. I'm concerned with the tournament. But we we were on the tower with some of our students, and uh, I look out there, just 50 yards past the target we were shooting at, and there is the biggest bobcat I've ever seen staring at us. And we watched it for like probably 20 minutes before it wandered off in the tree that it had, didn't care at all that we were shooting a target that was you know 50 yards in front of it but uh it was, it was a little rough having to watch that bobcat walk off you know but i think we're gonna go get him this weekend hopefully that's the plan anyway i'm gonna get him <clears throat> kind of got off on a hunting tangent there like we usually do that's all right i think people don't mind that no nah kind of hard to this time of year and i like how justin just said that the teamwork thing doesn't matter who shoots as long as we're driving back the truck and justin's already planning on shooting it out from underneath clay <laughs> yeah i've watched clay miss too much i'm oh not taking God. those chances i just want the dead bobcat in the back I feel like the there's truck. a vendetta there where you got to get everything out of, out from under clay now yeah no it's because you know the other day we went hunting it didn't matter where we were sitting there was a coyote in front of clay and he killed every one of them and a little salty about it I mean, if your eyes were just a little bit better, maybe you could see something, too. Yeah, well, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I can remember the days where we said, yeah, I shot seven, but we shot nine. And then I can remember one time, I think we killed ten, and I shot every one of them, or at least nine and a half of them. Maybe we counted a three. But then last year when we shot 15, I'm pretty sure Quinn shot 11 of them. Really? We had to think it up afterwards because we are like, how many did you shoot? I'm like, uh, I don't remember. We got 15, but maybe y'all aren't old enough yet. Yeah. 
The most important thing is that they're in the back of the truck. That's, That's all exactly. I care about. Yeah. But a little friendly, friendly trash talk that never hurt. I usually like the other guy shooting because if he misses and you get to rag on him all day, you have material for yeah. sure. Cracks me up. You go to a contest and you're talking to the guys at the end of it. And you're like, "Hey, how many? You know, how many did y'all get? Oh man, we we shot three. We've we seen eighteen and we missed oh, six of them. We killed three. You're like, well, we saw five and killed five. That's really all we got to come in. That's usually our our story, you know. And it's I, well, I sent a screenshot to Clay last night. We were kind of giggling about it. And it was we called in eighteen dogs, killed three, and it's like, gosh, dang man! Like if we kill eighteen dogs. If I we mean, see if we see eighteen, 18 dogs, there's like, sixteen on the ground for sure. Yeah. And the other two were just a double that came in. We didn't see it before it ran off. That's something that I think, just from checking in at contests, most people's shooting ability isn't there. They they've got the ground, they've got the coyotes, but. Hitting a coyote in anything past 150 yards starts to get kind of tricky. No. And it's cheating. And it's cheating. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're, they're mad because they can't do it, huh? Yeah. It, what, I guess somebody said that. You, you you commented that on a post the other day that I'd I've... I've been blacklisted. Have you really? Which means they're suspect of cheating because you turn in so many coyotes every time. Mm. It's not even that we're seeing that many more coyotes. It's just that we just don't let them walk. Yeah. And You know what you tell them, Tate? You tell them, let's I do just, this again, but this time good. I, th <laughs> <laughs> I think about it as a compliment, honestly. Yeah, you start taking one of those wide-angle cameras with you and video on every stand and just show them. Some of the contests are doing that now, huh? I wish Maybe that's not around, all of them. Maybe not around here. I know in New Mexico last year they did one like that. You had to video every, you had to video every kill. Yeah. I think people would probably think that our videos are edited if they watched... They wouldn't be able to see uh -huh. our videos. They're like, what is that black dot out there you're shooting I, at? I heard a shot, and then that guy's out there dragging something. What what happened here? Yeah, they see a sh they hear a shot, then they see us driving the pickup half a mile across the pasture. <laughs> at 90. <laughs> hey, got to get that guy. We got to get to the next tank, Clay. Yeah. Well, we kind of got off on a tangent here, but uh, um, our students are about to be rolling in for day two. We came out here early just to get a little something out here for you guys. We're going to try to start doing these podcasts um, every time we got a class. That way we can get them out here pretty regularly. Um, hopefully you guys appreciate the uh, the difference in audio that we've got this time around. We've got a lot of really nice stuff now, so we ought to be able to put out some pretty good content for you guys. If Tate will talk into the mic. Hopefully Tate will just talk, period, next time. Yeah. We should have got him one of the mics on his headset, so it didn't matter which way he turned his head, it stayed right there. He's just enjoying the relaxing weekend. So at least he's had to work in the past six weeks. Yeah. All out of and product. It's, it's still an all-time job, you know, being out here teaching classes, but it's just not 24 hours straight like it normally is for him. Yeah. The old third shift there. And he's in first and second. It's nice. 